The presidential motorcade had just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. You know, we take a lot of things for granted in America. I mean, the freedoms that we have, we just take these things completely for granted. And right now, we are just consumed with silly crap. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. We are just inundated and consumed with outrage over just about anything. And I think a society who has the most freedom in the world and economic prosperity, at a certain point, they get bored with themselves and start to lash out at just about anything. I mean, look at some of the stuff we're, com- we're com- concerned with, like Charles Schultz, uh, Charlie Brown peanut special being racist because... Franklin, the black character, was sitting by himself in a lawn chair at the dinner table for Thanksgiving, even though Mr. Schultz added the black character as a way to thumb his nose at the racism of its time. But now we have to look too far into that and ruin that time-honored tradition. So then we get more outraged, you know, ridiculous nonsense about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer being an awful special because his dad was chastising him and it was misogynist. And when it was really about acceptance, somebody who was different and wanted acceptance, was shamed by their difference, and then had the opportunity to use what made them different to save everyone and opening up their minds to the acceptance of said difference. You know, tolerance. Now they've stepped up their stupidity in uh, calling for the banning of phrases like bring home the bacon and get ready. Next, they'll be outlawing. It's so hot outside. You can fry an egg. Yes, (laughs) they're going after phrases that have to do with animals. And PETA spearheaded this whole thing. You may think phrases like bringing home the bacon and putting all your eggs in one basket are harmless quirks of the English language, but they could be offending vegans and vegetarians with one academic claiming they might end up being avoided altogether as a result. Writing for The Conversation, the researcher explains how meat-based metaphors are a popular staple of our everyday vernacular, but that an increased awareness in the environmental and ethical issues surrounding meat production, quote, will undoubtedly be reflected in our language and our literature, and that this language may no longer be so widely accepted. Wow. That's a party for tolerance and acceptance and freedom and the you know, ability to do whatever you want, isn't it? Today, in today's reality, meat is repeatedly the subject of much socially and politically charged discussion, including about how the demand for meat is contributing to climate change and environmental degradation, she continues. That's where the communist part comes in. So just in case you won't breeze through that part. I'm just going to point that out. In today's, uh, let's, let's go on further. The increased awareness of vegan issues will filter through consciousness to produce new animal rights, according to the organization PETA. And they have been complaining for more vegan and vegetarian-friendly idioms for years, urging teachers not to use phrases that perpetuate violence towards animals and modes of expression. PETA suggests bringing home the bagels as opposed to bacon And instead of putting all your eggs in one basket, why not try putting all your berries in a bowl? So do we have to now change a bird in in the hand is worth two in the bush to a ball in the hand is worth two in the... uh, Yeah, never mind. And are we worried about ridiculous things like singing Disney songs because they involve wooing someone of the opposite sex? I mean, how about this whole baby, it's cold outside? Is there a roofie in my drink? Baby, it's cold outside. I mean, they're outraged. They want that song to be banned because they think the guy was, you know, throwing date rape drugs in in the lady's drink so he can have his way. I mean, and now there's an acapella group out of Princeton University, and it's having to scrap its tradition of performing 
kiss the girl from Disney's Little Mermaid after students complain it violates consent, the Washington Times reported. Wesley Brown, president of the Princeton Tiger Tones, announced the group would stop its tradition of singing Kiss the Girl after the student newspaper, the Daily Princetonian, published an editorial calling it an offensive and violating ritual. See? Outraged over stupid stuff. That's where we are. We sincerely apologize to any of our past participants and audience members for whom our performance of this song was uncomfortable or offensive. Mr. Brown wrote in an op-ed last week, Our repertoire, traditions, and group as a whole are constantly evolving, and thus we value this opportunity to ensure a more comfortable performance environment moving forward. We hope to continue fostering an open dialogue with our audiences both on and off Princeton's campus. An editorial titled Dear Tiger Tones, Please Stop Singing Kiss the Girl was published by the Daily Princetonian last month, argued that the song unambiguously encourages men to make physical advances on women without their consent. Man, it's got to suck being single these days. <laughs> Going back to the article, the song launches a heteronormative attack on women's rights and their right to oppose the romantic and sexual liberties taken by men, further inundating the listener with themes of toxic masculinity, wrote the Daily Princetonian's Noah Wallstein. So, first off, there's a lot of things wrong with this story. First, it's an all-male a cappella group. <laughs> they probably aren't picking up any Princeton Strange on the campus, you know? You're basically in a New Age barbershop quartet. Not really the coolest uh, look. Yeah, you better be you better be damn good too if you plan on doing a new age barbershop quartet because the only group who's clocking the hose is pentatonics and that's because they're uberly famous i mean you know when you're uber, uberly famous you get to get away with a lot and you have a lot of chicks entering your orbit <laughs> i mean look at john mcafee look at that guy the libertarian candidate read his twitter feed he's talking about you know having fun with some bigams, and he's talking about, you know, hooking up on, I don't even know, it's, it's just insane. But he has money because of the McAfee effect, and he can get away with that stuff, apparently. I mean, even magicians, look at David Copperfield. He was, he was bringing them in, married to Claudia Schiffer, who was hot back in the day. She was like that first wave of just hot Victoria's Secret swim, uh, Sports Illustrated swimsuit you know, group, L. McPherson and, uh, you know, down the line. But, you know, <laughs> being a magician isn't always the coolest gig. I love David Cross, the comedian, his joke. He's like, you know, the most, uh, most kind of reaction you get from uh, a magic show or a magic trick is, <laughs> wow, that's cool. I mean, to me, and I kind of think that, you know. But now here's the next part of the story. The Tiger Tones? Seriously? I mean, I get that's your school's mascot, the tiger. But you don't have to be married to the mascot for your moniker. And then you're banning a song from the Little Mermaid. It's freaking Disney. And the left has already declared war on Disney films. I mean, the revisionist history that they put in uh, Pocahontas about, you know, the evil colonial invaders and their disease and all that. I mean... They were advocating to make Elsa a lesbian and advocating for a Disney princess who had an abortion. I mean, is there nothing sacred? The left attacks everything it can. And they frame things to fit their agenda. GM, General Motors, they are failing. And Joe Kennedy III is going to put on some chapstick. He's going to spout off on the floor of the house while getting his Elizabeth Warren on. Mr. Speaker, on Monday, General Motors went to bed with a record $3.2 billion in profit last quarter alone. Its shareholders went to bed with a 5% surge in stock prices, plus $10.6 billion that the company has spent on buybacks since 2015. Meanwhile, 14,000 GM workers spent a sleepless night wondering if their jobs and livelihood would still be there for them the next morning. There is no better snapshot of our country's current toxic brand of capitalism. So Joe Kennedy followed the speech on the floor of the House by layering the chamber floor with eight inches of spit, 
while standing next to a Chevy Camaro with its hood up that they brought in to make him the average worker. You know, give him that look of the working man. I mean, they can't even complain, you know, about toxic capitalism after being bailed out by government funds. You know, GM sitting there, uh, toxic capitalism. I mean, they had they took our money. They're receiving revenue via funding assistance in the form of government subsidies without, you know, eventually advocating for an eventual takeover by the government. And that's their end solution. I mean, if you're going to sit there and talk about toxic capitalism and then you're going to, I mean, fund this organization, you might as well take it over at this point. Or are you going to just meld that into the Chinese model of capitalism where, you know, the capitalism is on the on the surface the socialism and the communism is within the ranks of the company itself. And they can use that against you, by the way. So at the very end, they're lying to us up front about all of these items that they are campaigning for. They're all socialist item, item, ideas. They're all communist ideas at the very end because socialism leads to communism. But, you know... We bailed these idiots out. They built for the government demands and not the market demands and gave us crap like the Chevy Volt. I mean, because of green energy. It wasn't popular and their sales plummeted. And now they're laying off employees and and closing production all while having government subsidies. That's, That's saying something right there. That's a business model that isn't listening to its business base, its customer base. You know? And none of that is capitalism. It's all cronyism, making deals with the government in order to enhance your business. Sometimes they advocate for legislation that benefits them. Sometimes it's detrimental to their own business on the short term, but financially they can weather the storm to allow the legislation that is detrimental to them to destroy all of their competition. And then they'll revisit these laws later after they've clinched the market share and after the competition collapses under the weight of it all. See Walmart advocating for $15 an hour minimum wage hikes for that example. Government intrusion always leads to reduction of freedom. At a certain point, people will lash out when government steps over the line. Take France as an example. And we're going to get into France in a second. I want to remind you, Mojo 50 Radio is streaming now on iHeartRadio. You can listen to it in your car. You can listen to it on any smart device. iHeartRadio puts Mojo 50 in front of millions of people and, you know, hook it up in a Bluetooth situation with your car, with a Bluetooth speaker, you know, terrestrial radio is on its way out because now you can connect online and do anything you wish. So check out Mojo 50 radio on iHeartRadio. So now back to France. Now oil prices right now, keep this in mind, are the lowest in a long time. So, Why is the news going out there and saying that, you know, France is having this uprising, these protests and these violent attacks by its citizenry on its government? Why are they doing that in the name of fuel prices? It wasn't about fuel prices. It was about the tax on the fuel. And that's when people have to realize there's something about taxation, because in my other life, I deal with taxation quite often. And one thing you have to realize is taxes, they are, they go against, they don't, they don't encourage, they discourage behavior. They go against what people want. Now, there is, you know, a need for some taxation and you can argue all across the board if it needs to be flat tax, fair tax, neutral tax, sales tax, whatever the case may be. Eventually, somehow, some way, the government should have some kind of funding. But that's when we have to revisit, well, what size should the government be? And how much funding should it get? It should be very little. And it should receive very little. Think about the tax code. Why is it that uh, they put in a green energy car tax credit? Why is that in there? Ooh, maybe that's because that will encourage you to go buy an electric car, a brand new one. So the credit encourages you where the tax would discourage you. You know, why is it that you would think about um, having more children? You've got, I mean, you're not doing it for the tax credits, but they offer tax credits for, you know, having children. They offer, because they want to encourage a robust growth 
in in the, you know in the country. Think about the fact that they give you the mortgage interest deduction. Why is that? Well, because that will give you a bigger chance to itemize your taxes because that mortgage interest deduction stems from the purchase of a new home. In turn, encouraging people to buy homes instead of renting. So if you understand that taxation, you know, relegates behavior, it can, it can discourage behavior if it's too high. That's where there needs to be a market level, you know, an, an equilibrium where you get to a point where you're going, okay, this level of tax doesn't discourage people anymore. And if we can budget that into essential services, Department of Defense, you know, things a federal government should do. If we got back to federalism and put it down where it needs to be in the municipal areas, you know, get rid of the Department of Education and, and have your school board mean something, have your state mean something in the grand scheme of things and not look to a federal leviathan all the time, then we can get to that point where taxation doesn't discourage. And see, that is actually what's happening in France. They're coming out and they're raising holy hell over the fact that they increased taxes on fuel. And the people who are involved are 20, 30-some-year-old rural people. They don't have a lot of education. And they are, and this, this isn't me just making blank assumptions. This is what I've read. They are fed up with the fact that their jobs, many of them are, you know, trucking and, and things of that nature. It's affecting them financially. It's hurting the little people, the middle class. So from um, some of what I was reading, France is smoldering in this self-immolated mode with riots and burning cars and chaos um, because of the tax hike. From NPR, the French government is suspending a planned fuel uh, tax hike after yellow vest demonstrators took to the streets for months of protest. French Prime Minister Ordwan Philippi says the country's planned fuel tax is on hold now after weeks of large protests were mounted by people wearing yellow safety uh, vest. In a live TV address, Philippi said no tax deserves to endanger the unity of the nation. <laughs> well, most taxes endanger people. Sorry. The retreat comes after an anti-fuel dem uh, tax demonstration devolved into a riot in Paris, France. With the people looting stores, burning cars, spray painting their messages. Um, all, they've even attacked the tomb of the unknown soldier. The fuel tax was scheduled to take effect on January 1st as part of Emmanuel Macron's uh, environmental policy, but it's suspended now. So here is what Jake um, Signiero from NPR's newscast uh, described it as. Originally, the yellow vest protesters were people from rural areas who have to drive long distances as part of their daily life. They said they couldn't afford the hike in fuel prices. Protests appeared in pockets around France to denounce Macron's green tax and then quickly grew into a larger movement that includes members of the working and middle classes who are expressing their frustration about slipping standards of living. They say their incomes are too high to qualify um, for assistance, but at the same time, <laughs> it's, they've got not enough to, um, you know, to get the welfare benefits. They don't, they don't make the cut as far as that goes. Now, the movement has no official leadership and was organized initially through social media groups. Apparently, there was a Facebook you know, uh, message that was posted up, and this somehow got everybody on the same page and out there protesting. Now, first, why the color yellow? In traditional French culture, yellow represents the Mediterranean regions of France, which always felt oppressed by Paris. These protests represent ancient regional grievances. Why the vest? Well, in French uh, psyche, the lack of arms represents helplessness. The protests are about marginalization and the impotence felt by the ordinary people. A respected Lebanese anthropologist has studied the protest and concluded that the burning of cars represents anger. The protesters appear to be unhappy about something, and that's more than just typical grumpiness. This is actually from commentator Kark Shero and the tweet storm that they had. Really, from what I heard, the yellow vests are a mandated item for people who work in that industry that, that is being affected. But I guess they're getting way more nuanced on this than I would. Now, keep in mind, 
There's two sides that are engaged in all of this. Two, two sides, left and right, but you can't think of them as conservative right like America. You have to think of them as nationalist right and communist left, basically. I mean, you've got National Rally, which was the National Front. You know, Marine Le Pen, we've talked about them in the past. The National Front is a nationalist movement where some people would agree with some of their platform ideas, you know, closed borders, you know, uh, uh, they want healthy immigration reforms, you know, stuff that uh, will bring and rein in immigration because they've got a huge problem with it over there. But there's some other fascistic sides to the, that group that really is bothersome. And what's really insane and what's really incredible is some of the violence that has ensued because of these protests are being encouraged by Russia. Yep, Russia collusion happening over there in France. Use your collusion one and two. See, what you have to realize is Russia would be fine with destabilizing any, any you know, anti-Russian uh, country, any country that is working against them. And right now in Syria, like we talked about the other day, You've got France, Germany, the UK, a little assistance of the United States, Australia. You've got all of them in on removing Assad. And the other side of the coin is Russia, Iran, and Turkey. So it's almost like a little proxy war between Russia and France. So would it be in Russia's interest to support a movement that could topple Macron? I would think so. And in fact... Um, Marie Le Pen was receiving help from Vladimir Putin. I mean, <laughs> it's amazing when you get into, I was reading this tweet storm and there's a little bit to it that you can tell that this person's extremely biased, but they bring up a couple good points. And some of the points that I wanted to bring up is, um, that are pertinent. I'm going to bring up from what they wrote. Um, there are indications that the yellow vest movement is France and it is the pointy end of a Russian active measures campaign against Macron. It first started as a protest against carbon emissions tax. Remember, Moscow hates anything that reduces demand for its biggest 48% export, fossil fuels. Now, keep in mind, Tucker Carlson said the other day that this tax is not a tax to raise money in France. It's a tax, like I said before, to encourage behavior that encourages climate control measures, climate change measures, measures that will get you to quit using your vehicle as much and to encourage the behavior of other methods of fuel. <laughs> so, but they talk about how, um, let's see, about how Russia has been included with um, Marie Le Pen and they talk also about how it was organized on social media, but then they talk about how the public record of that social media account is vague, unlike the Ukraine's orange movement, where there's tons of nexus of Genesis located in, in that movement. They talk about how, in, um, how a lot of the propaganda is focused on being imported by Russia. You know, they talk about the stats of, in English, um, on RT, which is Russia Today, their, their mouthpiece, it, it was only printed 170 times. And on Sputnik, another Russian outpiece, 170. But in France, within a month, 1,230. And on Sputnik, it was 3,010 pieces on the Yellow Movement. And there's video that they've brought in to uh, show attacks from years past and other, other G20-style riots and things. So Russia is placing their influence in this yellow vest movement and adding fuel to the fire of people who are fed up with taxation. So it's a more nuanced situation going on in France. And we can't just go, well, they rejected the tax and the people are rising up. Ah, there's a little bit more behind it. So we have to really um, sit back and watch and not make judgment calls hastily. Hey, don't forget you can follow me on social media at Rants Out Loud and also at Adrian Slade Show on Twitter. Also, Adrian Slade on MeWe, Snippy, Convo, and Gab. Back in a moment on the other side of the break. This is Adrian Slade. 
Canadian Slade Broadcast. Welcome back to the show. So now that we in America can enjoy being outraged over everything under the sun and come up with dumb, ridiculous ideas because we don't have to worry about the threat, at least for now, of our republic falling apart like France is dealing with, with the yellow vest, we can get into things that really go over the top. Like we can get mad that Ed Sheeran is standing next to uh, the almighty Aphrodite princess Beyonce and he's dressed down to a point where someone like uh, Sean Fay said, Ed Sheeran is a 27-year-old man. The fact we've enabled him to feel it's okay to dress like this, let alone next to Beyonce, really boils my piss. <laughs> because he's dressed down in a t-shirt and jeans. I didn't think that was a bad thing at all. We also get to get outraged over what this, this new phenomenon, which is called blackfishing. And what this is, is people on social media, mostly Caucasians, are tinting and darkening their face so that they look like a minority. Apparently that's a thing. And you know who really could have uh, utilized this the best? How about the pioneers? Rachel Dolezal, Sean King. They really could have kicked this out of the park. And it's not like the Democrats haven't adopted the, the idea behind blackfishing with their campaigning, their ethno-fishing, with Beto O'Rourke being an Irish-Hispanic white guy and Elizabeth Wigwam Warren you know, she's one 1,024th Native American. So these are the kind of things that we're concerned with in our news cycle. And I wanted to bring somebody on from Conservative Library. This is the head librarian. This is Michael. His Twitter handle is at Hugh underscore Manity. Join, thanks for joining the show, Mike. Hey, thanks, Adrian, for having me. You're welcome. Okay, so what? I was going to give you a call later, so I'm glad we're killing two birds with one stone. Yeah, are, are we allowed to say that? Isn't it two uh, bagels with one scone or something like that? I can't even remember. Something like that. I don't know. I just I'm working hard to bring home the bacon. That's all I know. Yep, you just got flagged. You ever see Demolition Man? They've got those little things around town. Or you say something like that, and the PETA you know police show up and hand you a citation. I'm in trouble. Well, <laughs> as I sit here and enjoy my ham and bacon sandwich, I was going to uh, make a, a ham bacon ham. Uh, pork sandwich, no bread. Pork on like both that. ends, obviously. I like that. Yeah, and we can just keep talking about it and really kicking a dead horse. <laughs> we really can. <laughs> <laughs> or can, can you lead a horse to water anymore, or do you have to drag the dead horse that we've already beaten into a pulp? Is Mr. Ed's lifeless body uh, dragged to the water now? Well, I don't know, but you can't talk about horses because it's really ruffling people's feathers. And you can't talk about ruffling people's feathers because that involves a chicken and <laughs> they're going to get their feelings hurt. Well, so. I, and I said in the first segment about, you know, it's so hot outside you can fry an egg. That's off the table now. And things like, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush are now going to be switched to a ball in the hand is worth two in. Uh, never mind. Never mind. Anyways. All right. Yes. I do have something whose feelings are not getting hurt, and those are hockey pucks. Really? What's, what's going yeah. on in, in the, uh, the NHL world? So in the NHL world, apparently 2,500 hockey pucks were bought by a union. Um, the story goes that Oakland University in Michigan, based on an idea from their police chief, uh, Auburn Hills Police Chief Mark Gordon, so he says that when there's an active shooter – People need to defend themselves by throwing anything they can at the shooter. Now, this is a person with a gun, and people should not have a gun to defend themselves, but they should take objects and throw at the person, including hockey pucks. You know, at first when you were telling me about how many hockey pucks they were buying, I thought they were opening up a league. What are they? So they're going to throw the hockey pucks at the active shooter? They are throwing hockey pucks at active shooters. Um, Quick question. So what happens if the active shooter is a very talented hockey player. Hmm. Oh, my God. You can dodge them all. Now, wait. Now they need hockey sticks to be able to throw <laughs> back. Yeah, yeah they've got a, the return fire, no pun yeah. intended, is going to be something that they're going to have to be proficient with hockey sticks so they can, you know, kick it back to the active shooter. I, I, I hadn't thought about that, but you're, you're already blowing a hole in their theory. 
Well, and you know, you can have a whole game break out at that point, and then the active shooting situation's quelled. I mean, you're done. Well, they could all just throw themselves at the active shooter until he runs out of ammunition. (laughs) There you go. And you know what I was thinking? I was thinking, since it's usually the progressives that come up with these ridiculous ideas, remember when they were talking about, you know, getting canned goods to throw at, at active shooters instead of hockey pucks? I was thinking, why not go all out and get Progresso canned soup to throw? Because then you can throw, you know, chicken and rice and your ideology at the active shooter altogether. You're hitting tons of different angles at that point. But, you know, if they opened up the cans of Progresso before they threw them, splattering the Progresso on the active shooter, it may turn his his leanings into realizing He's in a gun-free zone. Therefore, he should give up his gun and become a law-abiding citizen. Yeah. And you know what, though? But you can't throw the chicken and rice because what if the guy's a vegan? You know, right then, you're now, go- you're now treading into the PETA territory. Well, he may be, uh, you know, anti-gluten. And does rice have gluten? I, I don't know. Apparently, gluten is Satan. Oh, yeah. No, no. White Christian men are Satan. Oh, that's that's right. That's right. Gluten is uh, like the Black Plague. White right, Christian yeah, men are yeah. like Satan. That's right. Yes. Um, so they bought 2,500 hockey pucks uh, through their Union American Association of University Professors, and they gave 1,700 to students and 800 to faculty, which means they basically have two faculty to every one student. But they didn't yet buy money to put locks on the doors which they say is even more important so you can lock the door from the inside right now you can only lock the doors on most of them from the outside in the classrooms (laughs) so they're wanting to raise money for that too okay worthy cause i guess (laughs) yes but they they want to make sure it's a school free i mean a gun-free zone in fact there was a study done by the crime prevention research center and it showed that um 87.8% over the past 68 years of all mass shootings were in gun-free zones. That's almost 88% from 1950 to May 2018 were done in gun-free zones. And the Everytown for Gun Safety uh, gun-grabbing crowd basically put out a false stat. And so CPRC also said, okay, well, let's look at your January 98 to December 2015, right? So January 98 to 2015. 96.2% of uh, mass shootings were in gun-free zones. So gun-free zones are killing zones. (laughs) Basically, gun-free zones should be just named to sitting duck zones. Absolutely. Because what will happen is people like you or I, who are law-abiding people, will not bring their concealed firearm into a gun-free zone because we're following the law. Then you will get killed because a mass shooter comes in who is committing, you know, violations of the law. I survive, and now me being a gun owner who survived the mass shooting because I followed the law, get blamed for the criminal who didn't follow the law. And I should now have to give up my gun. Well, that's the logic of the left. Well, and, and not only that, have you heard about this new, uh, this new bill that's being pushed through the House? I don't know how far it's going to go. Let's hope it doesn't go too far. Maybe not out of the committee. But the idea behind it is, and I don't know if it's a state thing. I don't know if, basically, if you want to purchase a firearm, you have to turn over three years of your social media history and your, your social media, uh, your Google search searches. History. Yeah, search history. Yes. So, I mean. I did so, hear about that. So, let, yes. so let's think of that, about that constitutionally. So what if I want the right to free speech? Do I need to go and uh, lobby to, you know, have the ability to speak my mind by showing all my history searches and my social media post? If, you know, if I, if I want to start, say, conservativelibrary.com and I wanted to be the press, do I have to go to them and show them? Why is this the one amendment where we have to show all of these things because we're basically destroying the fourth amendment based on what we're worried about for the second, you know, we're going to have illegal search and seizure, um, due process, the fifth amendment. We have to worry about destroying all of those to uphold the second amendment to allow us to even purchase an item that falls under our constitutional God given rights. 
Well, remember, the Constitution doesn't matter. It's a living document. Yes, unless it can be used by the left for a particular purpose. And then once that purpose has been fulfilled, it goes back into the dustbin. Exactly. It's you know, I, the, I like the living document question. argument really always gets me because I'm like, it's not a living document. You guys keep adding different appendages and different things to it that, that weigh it down. I mean, it's all you're doing. It's a, it's a pretty simple document. And if people would pay attention to the Tenth Amendment, you know, we'd be a lot better off. Yeah, I mean, we had the ability to amend it, but think of the rigors and think of the ridiculous logistics it takes, the, the processes to amend the Constitution. It's that way for a reason. It better be pretty daggone important for you to get it through an amendment process. Yes, I always like to remind the gun grabbers when they say, well, the founders never envisioned this kind of firearm or that kind of firearm. So therefore, they're not allowed. You should only be able to use what the what they had at the time, and that's how you follow the Second Amendment. And I say, great. At the same time, we didn't have electronic communications or the internet, so therefore, the founders didn't imagine mass communications when they wrote the First Amendment. So we need to give up anything on the internet, any electronic communications, television, news stations, all of that should go away. And the media can use a quill or a hand-cranked printing press, which is what the founders had in mind when they created the Second Amendment. And you know what's funny about that is I've gotten I mean the First Amendment. Yeah, and, and what's funny about that is I've gotten so uh, over that premise that I've basically just destroyed their premise from the outset. Whenever that argument's made, I'm like, the founders didn't have any envisioning ideas. It's in the Federalist Papers. They talk. They talk all about it. They basically James Madison actually says. In a nutshell, there's going to be more armed us than there are you, <laughs> government. And that's the whole basis. See, the problem is you're throwing in facts instead of hyperbolic emotionalism. <laughs> oh, and did you hear what's her name from Hawaii? Har Haranko, whatever her name is, that said that they're not emotional enough. Did you? I don't know oh, if you heard that the, clip. The guy who hates men. The well, woman who hates men. Yeah, the woman who hates men, who's run completely on emotion is telling the party that melted down in the streets and decided to make knitted hats of their private parts and march down the street because somebody they didn't like won election is saying that they're not emotional enough. Yeah, and, and this is why we don't have debates in this country, because they can't debate. They can't discuss anything without calling us murdering, uh, hypocritic, racist, xenophobic, phobophobes. Yeah, exactly. And, and they're always they're always on emotion. I mean, the Triglypuff chick who melted down crying in the streets. You know, we didn't do that when Obama won. Now, I felt like it in, when the election results came through for maybe 30 seconds. But, you know, then I just cracked open, you know, a bottle of Pinot and just, you know, put myself to sleep. <laughs> Speaking of Triglypuff, I do have some good news. Oh, really? Good. We need good well, news today. It was limited good news. So well, it's typically limited. A guy rented an apartment in San Francisco, had an apartment for rent, a studio, and it was only 800 bucks a month plus $50 utilities, which is a steal, apparently, in San Francisco. Wow, that's a steal. Yes. So a student took it. Well, it turned out that this studio apartment was one of those little square tool sheds in the backyard on a concrete slab. <laughs> really? Yes, I am not making this up. It was 800 plus 50, so 850 a month a little bitty tool shed on a concrete slab. It did have a toilet and a sink in it as part of the little square room. It didn't have any way to cook, didn't have a shower, anything like that. And it was only a $1,200 a month deposit. Wow. The girl was moving out, the student, and the guy, the landlord, the guy says, no, um, you have a lease, a one-year lease. So she posted on Facebook and Craigslist trying to get someone to take over her lease until... A friend said, hey, this is probably illegal. He doesn't have permits. So she found out it was, in fact, illegal. He agreed to give her the $1,200 deposit back as long as she didn't file a complaint, got her $1,200 back, and it's not yet her rent again. <laughs> I would imagine. You know, he could Airbnb that thing. <laughs> have you been on Airbnb? How long is he? How long is it going to take till he gets the um, proper permits and puts them on that thing so he can rent it back out? I well, you know what? When you were first talking about it, my first thought is, 
I have a feeling that this guy who's renting out his tool shed didn't take the proper due diligence to get the permits knocked out and what have you. I think he just said, hmm, I can make money off this thing. Let me put it on Craigslist. Yep. Uh, let me take the hammers and, and shovels out so they don't get stolen by my tenant. Yeah, I mean, but I'm serious. Airbnb, we went on it the other day. We were just curious. And there was somebody is renting space in their backyard, renting out a tent. There was one who rented out, I kid you not, a shipping container, and it just had a hammock in it. There wasn't even a bathroom. Okay. <laughs> so he might be able to pull it off. Oh, I've got a couple acres. I'm just thinking of all the um, huge amounts of people I could put oh, in that land. I, I'm, I'm on farmland. I'm looking out my window right now from my studio, and I'm going, wow, there's uh, you know, 50 bucks there, 100 bucks there. You know, right. you get in the sun, you can charge, you know, more for the amenities. Rural, scenic, bed and breakfast. I'm rural. I have a lot of scenery because I'm rural and I can give them a bowl of cereal. Yeah. And a hammock. That's a bed and breakfast. And just, yeah, just like maybe shut the door to your hallway so they can use the guest bathroom and put a little, you know, hose hanging from the backyard. You can shower there. And see, that's the thing is. This is what millennials want. They want the experience. I don't know if you heard about the Monopoly game that they've made for millennials where you don't get to buy property. There's no boardwalk. There's no hotel on Park Place. You get experiences because experiences have uh, asset value. Um, yeah, I've had enough experiences in my life. I like the cash. <laughs> exactly. I'll, I'll take the building that, that probably won't, uh, well, I'll take the land that doesn't appreciate and put a nice building on it, a revenue generator, you know, that I could That's sell right. down the road. Because I'm a giving soul, I'm willing to let them experience not owning the property and give it to me instead. I, I, that's a great idea. I'm down with that. And speaking of giving, Democrats... Stealing elections is a gift that keeps on giving. So I wanted to bring something really enjoyable to your attention. So Shoot. You better Throw. be sitting down for this because put your thinking cap on because this is not easy to follow, okay? It's going to be tough to do that. i got to put it around the headphones, but here, give me a second. All right, uh, all right get that cap. Oh, thinking cap you. is on. All right. So I'm glad you got your pink knitted cap on. Now, <laughs> it is. Knit. Grandma Eunice, she knitted up my uh, vagina hat the other day. <laughs> The second congressional district in Maine, okay? So this is a federal election for the House of Representatives, okay, for Congress. There's an incumbent Republican, Bruce uh, Poliquin, I believe his name is. Now, he's the incumbent Republican, and then there's a Democrat running against him, Jared Golden. So we got the Republican incumbent and the Democrat running against him. All right. The Republican, and there's also two uh, far-left liberal independents. Yeah. Okay, so we got three liberals. Always is up there in the Northeast. I mean, you know, in New, yeah. New England states. Yes, all six of them. So the Republican incumbent got 2,632 votes more than the Democrat, all right? So all right. he won. Okay, he won. He won by 2,600 votes. Gotcha. He is turning out they're not giving him the win. They're giving the Democrat the win instead. How is because, that possible? Yeah, the reason is the Democrats' votes had a higher ranking than the Republicans' votes. Higher ranking? Yes. Yeah, so let's examine this because this is the first time in the history of the country this has ever happened. <laughs> I would now, say so. I've never heard of that. In 2016, the good people of Maine passed a referendum to use what's called a rank voting system. And it was implemented by the Democrat Secretary of State, Matt Dunpal. Okay? All right. Now, what this ranked voting system does is it works like this. You and I are running for election. And we also have Bob and Mary running for election. So the four of us are running for office, okay? All right. Michael, Adrian, Bob, and Mary. So Michael and Adrian come in first and second. Okay. But neither one of us gets 50% plus one vote. Okay. We both get 40-something percent. But you get more votes than anyone else. You do not win because you didn't get 50% plus one. So what happens is the two other people, their votes go from whatever they had to zero. They lose all of their votes. 
That's yeah, weird. People, well, it gets better. When the people vote in our election, there's four of us on the ballot so they can put, this is my first choice, this is my second choice, this is my third choice, and this is my fourth choice. So for the first and second choice, me and you, we're the top two vote-getters. All the people who voted for number three and four, their votes get tossed out. And then it says, okay, for a person who voted for number three, what was their second choice? And what was their third choice? And what was their fourth choice? And so it reallocates other people's ballots to you and me. You know, that's it's crazy because it's almost like an inverted electoral college type system where it's completely yes. backward. It's going to add electoral votes to the person who isn't even in the lead. That's exactly what it does. In fact, let me tell you how it does it. It does it using an, a computer algorithm that is proprietary and no one is allowed to see it. Mm, no. it's, that's always the case. You know, we're going to oh, yeah. we're going to keep the documents redacted. We're, oh, we're not going to let you see the election count vote in Broward County. They always have to keep it under wraps. Yes, because, you know, it's secret, don't you know? Yeah, you know, it's not the people it's them. Yeah. You might need an ID to vote for that election. But all the other ones that are, you know, open primaries, whatever. Nah, no ID what, whatsoever. That's that's racism. So the Republican at 46 percent and change the democrat had 45 percent and change the two independents who didn't win got their votes shaken up and redistributed so of that redistribution the republican went up from 46 to 49 and the democrat went from 45 to 50 <laughs> and so he won always won. it's always it's always yeah. when it's some weird quirky contested race the democrats always come out on top at the end 8,000 voters had their votes thrown out because they didn't choose a second, third, fourth place winner. And why would you? Oh, <laughs> I mean, so the law, there's, there's a couple lawsuits, and one basically says that 8,000 voters were disenfranchised because they didn't magically know who to put as a second or third place because if it's not the right people, then their votes won't get reallocated. So their votes got completely thrown out. Oh, my gosh. And... The attorney defending the Democrat says the lawsuit by the Republican, who are trying to say it's unconstitutional, should be thrown out because there's no case law to support it. But there's no case law because this is the first time this computer algorithm called a ranked voting system has ever been used. But I since there's no case law, you can't have any case law for it. Unbelievable. And then you go, well, who made the algorithm? Oh, gosh. So the algorithm... Uh, comes from a third-party computer vendor. I don't know the name, but it was put into place and sponsored by a billionaire leftist in, Dem in uh, Texas under a Democrat uh, Secretary of State in Maine. Of course. I would see that happening. That totally, yeah. you know, makes sense because that's what they, they worry about. The left always worries about, you know, all the right is going to conduct voter fraud and they're going to use their their business CEOs on Wall Street to do all that. Well, you know what? First off, the Gordon Gecko model of uh, Republican CEOs in Wall Street is gone. I mean, Dick Sporting Goods is, is thinking about closing stores because they decided to become social justice warriors and get rid of the uh, semi-automatics for sale. Target's allowing... Go broke. Yeah, Target's allowing men in the women's room and they're losing their stock price. You know, um, Twitter decides they want to ban every conservative under the sun and their stock price goes down. Business in general isn't typically Republican anymore. They are progressive. And they'll, they'll fund these things. They'll fund, you know, uh, algorithms and voting machines and, you know, all, whatever they want to do to support their agenda. They won't do it through actual means like you and I would do. They're not going to go, hey, we'll let the people decide. And the system that is built, that was founded, weed it all out and come to the decision. No, they're gonna they gotta massage it and they've gotta, you know, do devious things behind the scenes to get the outcome because their ideas don't work. Agreed. The same big companies so you hear the leftists complaining about big corporations. The thing is the big corporations it depends on who the corporation is, whether they hate them or not. They love big corporation Twitter and big corporation Google and big corporation Facebook. They yeah, but look what they, they did to do no wrong. Yeah, but look what they did to big, you know, corporation Amazon, though. I did that a couple shows back. They are livid 
over the fact that Amazon is moving into two headquarters, one here in Northern Virginia and the other one in New York. Why are they mad? This is Jeff Bezos, Mr. Washington Post. The same big government or big corporations also finance big governments who can turn around and take people like me or you, investigate us just because they feel like it and throw us in jail. Well, and that's the thing I was making the point of the other day. Um, I was talking about this with somebody, and the, the first thing I thought of is, you know what? Yeah, they're railing against their own in Wall Street. And yeah, they may think Wall Street has influence on government. You know, they can lobby the government to do all these things. But for them to use the brute force of government, they have to push and they have to, you know, influence government to do anything. But you know who doesn't need influence to do it? Government. So why let them have that power? Yes. It's unbelievable. And the fact that we're dealing with a youth that has no idea about the fact that government is not always going to be this benevolent force for good because the people in it, that, that's the thing that confuses me. They look at government as this benevolent force for good. It's going to take care of everybody. But then Congress has the lowest approval rating of all time. They hate everybody in it. They hate all the politicians in it. The po- oh, all the politicians lie. All the politicians cheat and steal. And they have affairs. But you know what? Government's going to fix it all for us. Who's in the government? They hate all the politicians except their own. Yeah, exactly. It's every other politician that's no good, which is why the incumbents keep getting reelected. And just to remind your listeners, please go out and support your Convention of States movement. That's right. We're going to have you on again, Mike, for for more in-depth conversation about Convention of States uh, very soon, since you're closely connected to all of that. Hey, we got to get on out of here. Tell us about where they can find you online. Um, You know, tell us a little bit about 30 seconds or so, uh, on conservativelibrary.com. Conservativelibrary.com and on Twitter at Hugh underscore Manatee, H-U-G-H underscore M-M-A-N-N-I-T-Y, and also at Facts for the number four Patriots on Twitter. And thank you, Adrian. Your show is amazing, and I appreciate you having me on at any time. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for being on with us. That's Mike. Take care. That's Mike, head librarian from conservativelibrary.com. Go check out conservativelibrary.com. Great articles up there. And, uh, you know, just poke around the website a bit. And don't forget, you can find me on Twitter at Rants Out Loud, also at Adrian Slade Show. You can find me on MeWe, Gab, Snippy, Convo. Find us on all the social media platforms. Just search Adrian Slade. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. You can listen to the show on Mojo50. Every Saturday and Sunday, 6 a.m. and 5 p.m., check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spreaker, iHeart, Spotify, Overcast, Podbean, just about anywhere podcasts are hosted. You can check it out. Feel free to subscribe and give us a good review. Get the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel in your streaming store. Read the blog at adriansladeshow.com. And if you'd like, donate patreon.com slash adrian slade show or at anchor fm we'll see you guys next time